back to the Foreign Desk. I'm Lisa Deftari. On today's show, are woke policies destroying the U.S. military and defense? We'll take a close look on how progressive ideologies are weakening the U.S. military and defense defense apparatuses. And here to break it down, I could not think of a better guest, my good friend and colleague, Mark, also known as Oz Geist. You may know him as a member of the Annex security team that fought the Battle of Benghazi on September 11th, 2012. He spent 12 years on the U.S. Marine Corps, another decade in law enforcement, private investigating, bounty hunting before finishing off his career as a security contractor in Benghazi. And that's where him and his team were credited with helping save 26 American lives. He's the co-author of the best-selling book, 13 Hours, The True Account of What Happened in Benghazi, and now serves as the founder and president of Shadow Warriors Project. And we'll talk about that a little bit at the end of the show. That's a nonprofit that Mark and his wife started to help private security contractors and veterans and their families and um, all of that good, good stuff. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hey, Lisa, thank you for so, so much for having me. Been yeah, looking forward to this. Uh, really, I mean, um, we've known each other for over a decade now, and um, you know, we've been following your career and all the wonderful things that you've done for this country. Your love of country, of course, being something that really guides your life and the missions that you have accomplished. Um, you know, I always have our foreign policy guests start off with uh, a little bit of grading. Well, we'll put you in the professor's seat and we'll take a look at the Biden foreign policy, national security. Uh, what grade would you give it? A to F. <laughs> um, overall, especially in uh, Eastern Europe and in the Middle East um, and I mean, I, and China as well. I, I mean, it's really an F, uh, maybe a D minus, but I think it's right there in that, in that lower range. Uh, we have, portrayed ourselves as being weak, even though we have the strongest military in the world. If you're predictable or you're unwilling to use, um, or at least your adversary is, uh, thinks that you're unwilling to use your, your strength, then you are dependable, you are predictable, and you're ineffective as a fighting force. You know, I was going to save this question for later, but since you kind of segued right into it, why? You know, you, you talk about our adversaries and what they're, you know, perceiving from the, the way that we've shown ourselves in the last two to three years in terms of our foreign policy, in terms of our national security. I mean, why is the Biden administration so, um, what's the word? Is it shy? Is it weak? Is it by design? Is it by failure? I mean, why? What gives? You know, I think a lot of it is... Uh... You know, it's been over the years, I would have to say you go all the way back to uh, um, President Obama when he had, um, trying to think who it was, his secretary of defense that he hired was a Republican uh, senator that left the Senate, then became uh, the secretary of defense. The moment that he um, disagreed with Obama and he did it, uh, Obama very publicly fired him. And I think we go all the way back to then. And that was starting the demise of um, our military strength, because what that did is that told every senior officer in the military that, you know, you got to step in line, come lockstep. And otherwise you're going to get fired. You're not going to get promoted. Mm -hmm. um, your general officers, you're not going to get recommended or confirmed by um, the Senate. And it really started back then, I think. 
You know, I, I, of course, you know, we've seen a lot of partisan politics since then, that's for sure. I mean, you've been on record saying many times that what happened to you and your team in Benghazi perhaps wouldn't have happened had Donald Trump been president. I mean, what makes you so sure? When we look at a lot of these issues, um, a lot of people working behind the scenes will tell us, well, when you're in that hot seat, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a Republican or a Democrat in that seat, when you're dealing with these foreign policy issues, I mean, they're tough. I mean, what makes you so sure that Donald Trump would have handled Benghazi or any one of these foreign policy challenges in a better way? You know, I think, um, first off, I think if you just look back and again, you go back into history and you look at, uh, you know, everything that's happened um, in 2012, which happened to me, 2014, we look at uh, Ukraine. And a lot of people have over have not looked at this as, Prior to 2014 or in 2014, Ukraine had an elected democratic government. Though they were pro-Russia, they weren't anti-American, but they were a little bit more pro-Russia. And that country or that government was overthrown. And if you want to do your research and Secretary of State Hillary Clinton had a good part in that. Um, and then the new government got put in, which was more pro-American. And a lot of the problems that we have now are stemmed from those actions, uh, especially in Ukraine. Um, the reason I think Donald Trump was such an effective leader is because he did what good leaders do is he allowed those that worked under him to make the decisions. He pushed that, you know, especially for the battlefield. Decisions were made on the battlefield by those that were under fire. And Basically, he would allow those upper echelon military units to be supportive of whatever was happening there. Um, and he was also unpredictable. And I think that plays a lot into uh, into people being fearful of, OK, what if he plays that real well into that? And, you know, I don't know if a lot of people don't like him. A lot of people don't like his tweets. But you know what? Um, we weren't in any wars during his four years in office. And now we're back into se several of them. I mean, we, I can't say we weren't in India. I, got, I apologize for that. We were in Afghanistan and he was instrumental in working on getting us out of there. Yeah. Let's talk about that a bit, you know, getting out of Afghanistan, obviously the withdrawal from the, from Afghanistan by the Biden administration has come under heavy criticism um, by many of us. I mean, the way that we left our, our assets, uh, those, those who helped us, our, our sources, our translators, et cetera. Um, not to mention the, um, the, the, the attack at the airport uh, where we saw, where we lost U.S. personnel on the la in the last hours of withdrawing. I mean, <laughs> You do agree that we should have withdrew from Afghanistan and not prolonged that war, right? Well, I mean, we have to do something there. We can't just keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Um, I think that there should have been more negotiation with the Taliban uh, in how things were going to happen. I don't think we should have ever given up Bagram Air Base. I think that we should have kept um, a small contingent in there for a few more years to help stabilize the transition of the government. Um, and Bagram Air Base is the ideal place to do that. If we go back in history, all the way to Alexander the Great, Bagram Air Base in that area around Bagram, it's elevated position, it's defensible. Alexander the Great sat up there and staged before he tried to push into India. Um, mm -hmm. 
the Russians, if you look at when they pulled out in 79, when they got pushed out of Afghanistan, their last place of exfil was from Bagram Air Base. They held that to the last as they could. And why was it? Because it was the most tactical, provided the most tactical advantage of any other territory in Afghanistan. And that's where the, the exfil should have been done. Um, there was room to process those that had helped us bring them in our wire, or at least to a partial. And so we could have done this in a more concerted and organized effort instead of trying to do it out of um, Kabul airport, which was just, as we all saw, tremendously uh, disastrous. I mean, for the, for the lay person, Mark, why, I mean, why did this happen? We obviously have generals in place. We obviously have people with Intel in place. I mean, what you're saying sounds so clear and uh, frankly, easy, something that could have been prevented, right? So if we're all in agreement that we should have left Afghanistan, that we did not want to prolong that war, because I think the other side kind of conflates that talking point that we couldn't have dragged that war out forever. And that's not what people are saying. They're saying people didn't have to die. We didn't have to abandon our, our military equipment. We didn't have to abandon our assets. We didn't have to abandon those who mm -hmm. helped us. We left in such a, a, a disorganized and it just looked like a rushed and fearful way with our, our tail between our legs almost. Why? You know, I think it's, uh, and I personally, I think that what was happening in Ukraine was already on their radar, on the Biden administration's radar. And they knew that if we were going to do anything with Ukraine, if you look at the intel of what was developing during that time, there was no way the American people would have allowed them to go spend the money that they're spending on Ukraine if we still had Afghanistan going on. And I think that's why we had to shut it down, shut it down quick and ineffectively and in a way that right now, I mean, you look at ISIS-K, it is mm -hmm. growing in that area. Um, you know, the Taliban is trying to fight against them. You still have uh, Al-Qaeda who is uh, growing in numbers in mm -hmm. Afghanistan again reestablishing those bases and those training areas. And if anybody thinks they quit hating us, uh, they're really wrong on that front as well. Absolutely. I mean, speaking of Ukraine, which you mentioned several times, um, you know, the, the Biden administration being fixated on, on, on really inserting itself in that war. Uh, the Pentagon leaks showed us uh, many times, not only uh, that this is a dead end, that, that we're putting money into something that is not uh, going to get us any positive results or for Ukraine for that matter, but also that we are also putting pressure on our allies like South Korea and Israel to provide more. We're not doing enough. Why is there such a focus on what's going on in, in Ukraine? You know, I think because uh, what it looks like to me is we did the same thing we did in 1979, 1980, when we um, when when the Russians invaded Afghanistan, we are doing the same playbook instead of trying to um, use diplomacy beforehand and strength beforehand to prevent the whole thing. Mm -hmm. We ended up letting uh, Ukraine, as we did with the uh, uh, the previous government before the Taliban fall and then, or at least close to fall and then try to just supplement it with weapons and money, which mm -hmm. goes back to the industrial comp, you know, the military industrial complex. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with money. There's not a lot in there. 
They keep talking. The left keeps talking about this democracy that we have to save in Eastern Europe. Um, I don't really like that kind of democracy that they're talking about. Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, has shut down every news outlet except for one that supports him and he controls. Mm-hmm. And if that's democracy and that's the way we think that what that's what we want to save, then I think we're in for, you know, me personally, I don't like it. And I think we're in for a surprise. Right. Um, I mean, and again, I, I think there's been much criticism as to why there is such a focus on Ukraine and and why uh, the Biden administration either believes or pretends to believe that it is the biggest uh, foreign policy issue right now. Uh, and therefore, you know, kind of dedicated itself to it and focused on it, both in terms of resources and, and otherwise. In your mind, Mark, looking at the globe, what would you say is the biggest threat to our national security foreign policy right now? I think it's China. I mean, China's been buying up land in the U.S. Um, there's nobody confronting them on that. You know, of most of the countries I've been in in the world, you cannot own land in that country unless you are partnered with a local, you know, somebody who's a national of that country. Right. And they still have to own 51 percent of it. Um but we allow foreign entities to come in and buy up as much land as they want. We are allowing the balloons. You know, I saw something today that there's another one heading towards Mexico. Um, it's one in Hawaii that they're keeping an eye on as well. Yep. And, yeah. you know, if some that and if we're going to allow that, what else are they you know, what else are they doing? They're building up on Taiwan and we look at why Taiwan is so important. Taiwan is the beginning of a chain of islands that comes off of um, China, goes up, it kind of curves out to the east and up to the north. And you're looking at the Philippine archipelago. You're looking at all the way to Okinawa and all the way up into Japan. And if they control Taiwan, they get to control a lot of that waterway. And, you know, and that's what they've always been after. And with this administration, we're not paying attention to that. Um Taiwan controls what they, I think they're the greatest producer of microchips, um, mm-hmm. though they get the material from us, but they're still doing that. I was looking I mean, at, Mark, you know, I, I'm, ahead, I'm sorry. No, my question to you, because you said something that triggered a thought. You said we're not, the, the, the administration is not paying attention to it. Is that true? I mean, are they giving it a pass? Because they certainly are paying attention to what China is going to do or not going to do in Taiwan. But why? Is there less of a concern or urgency to stop China's influence right here in the United States? We saw a private police organization, a ring out of New York City where they are silencing dissidents. We see them entering our universities and spreading their influences that way. We see them in our labs. We see them interning in Congress. We see them taking on jobs in very high profile Mm -hmm. places of influence. As you said, purchasing land. Why is there less of a concern uh, when it comes to China's uh, spreading its influence right here in the mainland? You know, I I wish I could answer that. I mean, my only my gut feeling is uh, it kind of goes into that whole world order, that trade, um, world trade. And, you know, how are we going to live without them? And, you know, they kind of got us in a sense they've got us or we've allowed them to get us under their thumb is. You know, they carry, I think, what is it, 60 or 70 percent of our debt. Mm. Um, and that allows them a lot of influence. And uh, 
you know, like you said, I mean, and you called it a police force and I know that's what the media has been calling it. Um, anybody who has foreign units, foreign operatives in their country trying to silence dissidents, that's not a police force. That is an intelligence gathering apparatus that is trying to manipulate people within this country who are you mostly most of them are U.S. citizens um, who are first generation Chinese and or are here on green cards. And they're trying to gather intel on them. And and, and like you said, in that subversive that subversiveness and uh, or battle that there and it's not a police force. That's just the the left's way or the media, the left on the media's way of saying, because a, a police force doesn't look so bad. If hmm. we called it an intelligence appar- gathering apparatus there, that's a whole different story. Right. And it seems that that is exactly what they're trying to do. They're, they, they're there and, and they're gaining influence. And as you said, gathering information uh, on, on uh, U.S. Uh, soil, which is it's mind boggling to me that this is being allowed. But, Mark, before we run out of time, I really want to shift gears here and talk about um, something that's probably very near and dear to your heart, and that's serving our country. And I know that um, things are very different now than when you served. And I thank you for your service. And I You're thank welcome. everybody, anybody who's ever dedicated their time and risked their life for, for this country. I'm a first-generation American, and I've always been so cogn- cognizant of the freedoms we have here in this country and really loving this country in a way that, um, I, you know, it, it, it kind of manifests itself in my work. And I know that you also dedicated your entire life um, and now it continues to be your mission. Now we see a very different military apparatus, whether it's the Navy, the Army, the Pentagon, the Department of Defense. We've had articles at the Foreign Desk over the last year or so talking about the way in which these uh, organizations, these government bodies have moved so far to the left that they call, you know, it's called woke, whatever Mm -hmm. people want to call it. Here we have an article, if you look on the screen, um, U.S. Navy used drag queen influencer to attract a wide range of new troops as recruitment plummets. So they have a recruitment problem, right? Why do they have a recruitment problem? Well, we wrote an article at the Foreign Desk that it's because of these woke policies, that the, 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 the military is not what it used to be. It's not being advertised as it used to be. So the recruitment problem, they almost admit, is because of woke policies. Mm-hmm. But then they go deeper into committing to these woke policies. Here you have them bringing in an actual drag queen to, quote unquote, uh, attract uh, a, a different crowd of recruits. And I have some, some, some astounding numbers here. The U.S. Army is expected to fall 40,000 troops short of its recruiting goals for the next two years. Um, you know, it, it, this is the, the worst recruiting year this past year in almost 50 years. The Army wants to su- circumvent this problem by offering a billion dollars in recruitment programs. Uh, recruitment programs meaning bringing in more drag queens. I mean, why this insanity? You know, I agree. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it goes back to uh, projecting weakness. Um, we are weakening our military. We are weakening the presence or the image of our military. Back when I was in the Marine Corps, uh, you have what we call embassy duty as one of the assignments that you could go on. And back then in 1980s, to be even allowed to go to embassy duty, you had to be between 5'11 and 6'1". They didn't want people too short. They didn't want people too tall. And one of the reasons for that is because that is the first person, anybody that's wanting to come to immigrate to the U.S., when they go to a U.S. embassy, 
what they see as a Marine guard there. And they are all the same. And everybody around the world thought all Marines were 5'11 to 6'1 in shape, ripped, looking good. And you know, it makes you sit there and like, if that's what those are, it's that psychological warfare. And we've really kind of taken a 180 degree turn on the opposite side of that. And we are projecting weakness. And unfortunately, you know, weak men create weak times and weak, weak times will create hard times. And uh, that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. And you think about the consequences, right. Of moving towards this ideology, you know, you, you probably have, and I, and, and I exaggerate, but just to make the point, it's like you have, you know, um, fifth graders in, in China learn, learning Calc three and here right. the fifth graders are learning about their pronouns. I, you know, the consequences, do they understand the consequences of all of this? I think that, um, you know, and, I think a lot of people in the political realm are choosing things just because, I mean, I think it's bigger than even the individuals. Uh, You know, you know, my faith, you know, my love of the Lord. And uh, I think that we are facing evil and evil in all aspects. And that is what's happening. People, I get the question, you know, Oz, how do you think we should fix this? I'm like, well, we need to quit kicking God out of everything. We need to have, and recognize what that is, whether you're Muslim, Judaism, or Christian. We're all worshiping the same God. We've just done it in a different way. And, uh, you know, we're all sons of Abraham, sons and daughters of Abraham. And anybody who thinks otherwise, they forget to read the Bible. They forget the most historic book in the world. Um, And that is, we're allowing those weaknesses and outside influences to affect um affect that and like you said i mean you know one of the biggest problems kind of circling back to the military is is the stress the combat of all of that and we are seeing more than you know everyone talks about 22 suicides a day it's actually a lot higher than that when you start looking at the family as a whole because there's kids who are committing suicide their spouses and caregivers committing suicide from what they have to deal with of the spouse that went to war. Uh, Now we're going to take a mental health crisis in that aspect and start it by putting people in there who have a mental health crisis. Um, I know a lot of people don't want to talk about it like that, but when you are willing to allow children who can't buy a gun until they're 18 or 21 They can't drink until they're 21. They can't drive a car till they're 16 at eight, seven, eight, nine years old to decide if they're a a man or a woman. Um, To me, you know, and I worked in law enforcement for several years. And when I did that, I was one of my focuses was crimes against children. And, um, you know, I'll probably catch a lot of flack for this. But you know what? What's happening to kids is child abuse straight up child abuse. If you are allowing parents or adults to make the decision to give them um, hormone blockers and go down that road until they're old enough to make that decision and mature enough to make that decision themselves. Well, those it's not even, it's not even their own parents, right? So it's other adults 
that yeah, are not part of your family, making the decision for your children and trying to keep you in the dark about it. Yep. That's that's what's being pushed. Let's be real about it. And I, Correct. I digress from my uh, report of you, but I'm, I'm speaking as a mother and, and as somebody who's, you know, um, just feels like we won't have control over our children when this is, is, is what's happening. Look, everything in its right place. When you, when we speak about, you know, the, the responsibility of all of this, the consequences of all of this, it doesn't mean that we're against LBG, LBGTQI or against trans, you know, uh, transsexualism or anything like that. Everything in its own place. You have to have a child who is, you know, ready to understand these things. They are teaching children about these things in school before they teach them about depression or cancer or, or the Holocaust or any yep. one of these very tough uh, topics to handle until until a, a child reaches a certain age of comprehension. That's all that's being said. And when it comes to the military, to go back to to uh, my question for you. You know, um, I actually want to outline some of the things that we've talked about at the foreign desk in terms of how is the military being woke? I think a lot of people think that this is just something that's thrown around. Well, everything is, you know, um, uh, left wing, right wing, partisan politics. These, these are the actual um, ideologies that are being pushed in the in the military and Department of, of Defense, um, you know, Navy, Army, all the arms of, of our military apparatuses. Um, we had an article saying five ways it's been in, it's become woke. And one of them is teaching CRT, critical race theory, believing we're bad. So therefore, our military is bad. Therefore, you know, aggression is bad. Therefore, yeah. we should we should you know apologize and, and not win any wars. Uh, the LGBTQI issues, of course, the DEI standards. So the Department of Defense introduced diversity, equity and inclusion an advisory committee um, with academics and formal military, uh, former military personnel to provide, quote, recommendations on matters and policies re relating to the improvement of racial, ethnic diversity, inclusion, and equal opportunity with that within the department with a primary focus on military personnel. Uh, fourth is blurring male and female roles. There is a difference between males and females, particularly when it comes to strength, particularly when it comes to fighting, combat. And since the Obama uh, administration, that those lines have been blurred. So male, female roles have been blurred. So therefore, the women are scoring lower. I mean, what does that do for the morale of a woman who has dedicated herself to serving her country and now is not scoring well? It's, it's almost a failure in the, in the very noble endeavor that she has chosen. And lastly, the prioritization of climate change uh, as, as a subject matter. Mark, I want to turn it over to you. The, the real, what I want to know is, why? I mean, obviously, these are issues that we kind of throw around at school board meetings and people wonder if we should be prioritizing them versus other things. We have so much to, to prioritize. But when it comes to our military, why aren't we talking about more important issues? Why aren't we talking about the threats? Why aren't we talking about why they're in the military? Why you're serving in the Department of Defense? Why? I Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's again, it is... You know, we're taking our social issues and trying to um, push them on our military, using it as a scientific project, I think, rather than uh, than letting our military. I mean, we have a mission. Our military is there for a purpose. Let them do that purpose. We need to support it to make that purpose and, you know, to to accomplish that mission. And. To be, I don't care, and like you said, I don't care if anybody, if you're LGBTQI, um, any of that. 
can you accomplish the mission? Right. And are you an asset or not? And it's not what you've done in the past because the past is what gets you there. What you can do today and help the mission tomorrow is what matters for the future of that mission of that unit of this country. Um, you know, that's what guys are worried about. Guys and gals are worried about in a fight, in a fighting hole when the bullets are coming down range, it doesn't matter who's to your left or right. There's long as they're on your side and we are going in the same direction and we can't allow these other things to, I think, uh, affect that and manipulate the way people are going to react with each other. Um, I was reading something the other day that one of the major universities is segregating their calculus and pre-calc classes. Um, there's one for in the, when you sign up for it, there's, are you black? Are you Hispanic or are you other? Um, are we going back in time? Right. Are we trying to segregate? Are we trying to, uh, to cause strife? I mean, um, that is, I mean, that's how you take over other countries is you find a, you find a subject matter in that country. You get two parties on each side of it to start fearing each other that the other one is going to do this or the other one's going to do that. And if I can get somebody to fear each other, I can get them to hate each other. Right. And if we can get them to hate each other, then it's the next step is they start to kill each other. And, and that's where we got to get away from that is that hate. And that fear of one another and our differences. Right. Um, right. Something tells me the Chinese aren't worried about their pronouns right now. I, exactly. <laughs> Mark, it, it, it kind of uh, brings me to my final question for you that brings this all together. I mean, you know, um, it, it's really a, a question of curiosity. I mean, why is this done by design? Are they actually trying to purposely sabotage our military apparatuses or do they want to make a joke of us on the international stage or do they actually think this will lead us to a better military, a better country, a better school system, a better world for, for us here in the United States? I think if you look through, I think people that are making decisions are looking through it in a finite lens. And if you're looking at it through a very finite lens, I think you can convince yourself that yes, it's, you know, it's better that everyone have an equal outcome. So we're trying to make it so everyone can have an equal outcome, right? but it's, that's not what it should be. It's an equal opportunity, right? That outcome is dependent upon you and your decisions that you make and what you, you know, what you're going to do and the, your history, the struggles you've went through, that's going to make you the person to accomplish whatever you decide you're going to do. And I think that's really the problem is people are looking at trying to make everybody happy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Everyone we started, a trophy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A participation trophy. Yes. You know, um, the unfortunate thing is, I mean, I always tell this little story. My, my daughter, when she was little, I coached her soccer team and no one, everybody kept coming up to me saying, Hey, we don't keep scoring. I'm like, the kids do when the kids walk off, they're like, yeah, we won. Cause we had seven goals and they had three or something like that. Well, every, why is everybody getting a trophy? Well, you know, you won, right. You know, you can't, you know, as somebody who served this country and served it proudly and is continuing to really, you dedicate your life to helping those who served, what would you do 
to improve recruitment? I mean, what would you say to young people to convince them to follow that path? You know, I think I would tell them it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to challenge you. And it's going to make you a better person when you come out the other side. And I would go back to those policies. You know, there's no rest time in boot camp. There's a reason for why we do everything. Um, You know, everything from the, from polishing our boots to pressing our camis to marching in step. Why is it just like putting our ribbons on, you know, they are separated a certain way. And when it comes down to an inspection, all those little things matter and you can't overlook them because what you're trying to do with guy with the guys and gals that are in the military is you want adherence to um, commands. And when they're told to, Something as simple as, okay, hey, we're going to attack that hill and we're going to go there on 172 degree azimuth. And then we're going to go three degrees to the right, come back and attack from, uh, you know, 169 degrees and not 171, not 173. It's 172. If you're flying an airplane or driving a ship, that attention to detail matters. And it doesn't, we don't, it's not a lot, it's not a question you know what? It shouldn't be questioned. And, and that's why it should be back to doing that. Not, well, you know, Hey, my feet hurt today. I don't think I can go on that, uh, Mm -hmm. on that hike. Well, why, you know, suffer up, suck it up, move forward, you know, and and keep, keep driving forward because you can do it. Anybody can. Well, you know, before I let you go, I want you to tell us about your um, Shadow Warriors Project. I've heard lots about it. Um, why don't you tell our audience about what it is that you do, what this organization, um, what, what its purpose is, and how people can get involved? You know, it's me and my wife, after I got injured, it was, uh, we decided to do that. I think I was still in on the hospital bed in uh, Walter Reed when, uh, you know, I saw some areas that uh, are those that are serving private security contractors are serving our country and they're not getting the uh, support that our military does because you're a contractor. Um, And, you know, we ourselves struggled after uh, I got injured because my pay stopped the day I left uh, Libya, which was on the 12th. And I went from making a really good salary to zero. And then I had to go through six months of surgeries six to eight weeks in the hospital, a year and a half after that recovery. And things changed a lot. And, uh, you know, you would love that everybody says, well, you guys were making great money. You should have saved it up. Yeah, I should have, but um, we aren't that, people aren't that way. And since then it's, you know, we've just been driven and um, expanded out to help our veterans because like we talked about, there's, you know, at least 22, it's closer to 36 to 44 people um, that have served our country either in active duty as contractors or they were support as the spouses and kids that are killing themselves every day. And, uh, you know, it's not being addressed. Government has a hard time doing it because government is government. And I think it's us doing it ourselves. And we do that through providing service canines, we have developed a canine therapy program um, where we put uh, those that have are struggling with PTSD or TBI injuries through a program where we introduce them to Christ. We introduce them to the dogs 
the dogs help them learn how to manage their anxiety and their stress. And we are in an environment where it's, they can tell their stories and not just their mm-hmm. combat story, their life story. Cause a lot of us show up to the military with a bucket half full of stress already right. from uh, trauma that we'd had. And uh, right. last year, my wife started up a caregivers program. So we're reaching out to the wives and the children, bringing them in and mm-hmm. just doing what we can to, to make America a little bit better, make the life of an individual mm-hmm. a little bit better. Well, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your service. If you saw the the title of our our show today, we call you a hero, and you absolutely are a hero in the eyes of so many, in my eyes, certainly. Uh, Thank you for your service. Thank you and your wife for your extraordinary efforts in helping veterans and setting such a great example of the life that you can create and lead after your service to live in a life of honor uh, and really influencing others uh, to do the same. So thank you for your service. And uh, for those of you who would like to uh, subscribe to our weekly podcast, go to youtube.com slash Lisa Daftari. And to subscribe to our daily top 10 email, go to foreigndesknews.com. And we will see you all next week.